Section 7 of Rome. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Rome by Emil Zola, translated by Ernest Visitelli. Chapter 4, Part 1. On the afternoon of that same day, Pierre, having leisure before him, at once thought of beginning his peregrinations through Rome by a visit on which he had set his heart. Almost immediately after the publication of New Rome, he had been deeply moved and interested by a letter addressed to him from the Eternal City by old Count Orlando Prada, the hero of Italian independence and reunion, who, although unacquainted with him, had written spontaneously after a first hasty perusal of his book. And the letter had been a flaming protest, a cry of the patriotic faith still young in the heart of that aged man, who accused him of having forgotten Italy and claimed Rome, the new Rome, for the country which was at last free and united. Correspondence had ensued, and the priest, while clinging to his dream of neo-Catholicism saving the world, had from afar grown attached to the man who wrote to him with such glowing love of country and freedom. He had eventually informed him of his journey and promised to call upon him, but the hospitality which he had accepted at the Bocanera mansion now seemed to him somewhat of an impediment, for after Benedetta's kindly, almost affectionate greeting, he felt that he could not, on the very first day and without warning her, sally forth to visit the father of the man from whom she had fled, and from whom she now asked the church to part her forever. Moreover, old Orlando was actually living with his son in a little palazzo which the latter had erected at the farther end of the Via Venti Settembre. Before venturing on any step, Pierre resolved to confide in the Contessina herself, and this seemed the easier as Viscount Philibert de la Choux had told him that the young woman still retained a filial feeling, mingled with admiration, for the old hero. And indeed, at the very first words which he uttered after lunch, Benedetta promptly retorted, But go, Monsieur l'Abbé, go at once. Old Orlando, you know, is one of our national glories. You must not be surprised to hear me call him by his Christian name. All Italy does so from pure affection and gratitude. For my part, I grew up among people who hated him, who likened him to Satan. It was only later that I learned to know him, and then I loved him, for he is certainly the most just and gentle man in the world. She had begun to smile, but timid tears were moistening her eyes at the recollection, no doubt, of the year of suffering she had spent in her husband's house, where her only peaceful hours had been those passed with the old man. And in a lower and somewhat tremulous voice she added, as you are going to see him, tell him from me that I still love him, and whatever happens shall never forget his goodness. So Pierre set out, and whilst he was driving in a cab towards the Via Venti Settembre, he recalled to mind the heroic story of old Orlando's life which had been told him in Paris. It was like an epic poem, full of faith, bravery, and the disinterestedness of another age. Born of a noble house of Milan, Count Orlando Prada had learnt to hate the foreigner at such an early age that, when scarcely fifteen, he had already formed part of a secret society, one of the ramifications of the antique carbonarism. This hatred of Austrian domination had been transmitted from father to son through long years, from the olden days of revolt against servitude, when the conspirators met by stealth in abandoned huts, deep in the recesses of the forests and it was rendered the keener by the eternal dream of italy delivered restored to herself transformed once more into a great sovereign nation the worthy daughter of those who had conquered and ruled the world ah that land of whilom glory 
that unhappy dismembered parceled italy the prey of a crowd of petty tyrants constantly invaded and appropriated by neighbouring nations how superb and ardent was that dream to free her from such long opprobrium to defeat the foreigner drive out the despots awaken the people from the base misery of slavery to proclaim italy free and italy united such was the passion which then inflamed the young with inextinguishable ardour which made the youthful orlando's heart leap with enthusiasm he spent his early years consumed by holy indignation proudly and impatiently longing for an opportunity to give his blood for his country and to die for her if he could not deliver her quivering under the yoke wasting his time in sterile conspiracies he was living in retirement in the old family residence at milan when shortly after his marriage and his twenty-fifth birthday tidings came to him of the flight of pius ninth and the revolution of rome and at once he quitted everything wife and hearth and hastened to rome as if summoned thither by the call of destiny this was the first time that he set out scouring the roads for the attainment of independence and how frequently yet again and again was he to start upon fresh campaigns never wearying never disheartened and now it was that he became acquainted with mazzini and for a moment was inflamed with enthusiasm for that mystical unitarian republican he himself indulged in an ardent dream of a universal republic adopted the mazzinian device dio e popolo god and the people and followed the procession which wended its way with great pomp through insurrectionary rome the time was one of vast hopes one when people already felt a need of renovated religion and looked to the coming of a humanitarian christ who would redeem the world yet once again but before long a man a captain of the ancient days giuseppe garibaldi whose epic glory was dawning made orlando entirely his own transformed him into a soldier whose sole cause was freedom and union orlando loved garibaldi as though the latter were a demigod fought beside him in defence of republican rome took part in the victory of rieti over the neapolitans and followed the stubborn patriot in his retreat when he sought to succour venice compelled as he was to relinquish the eternal city to the french army of general Oudinot, who came thither to reinstate pius nine and what an extraordinary and madly heroic adventure was that of garibaldi and venice venice which manin another great patriot a martyr had again transformed into a republican city and which for long months had been resisting the austrians and garibaldi starts with a handful of men to deliver the city charters thirteen fishing barks loses eight in a naval engagement is compelled to return to the roman shores and there in all wretchedness is bereft of his wife anita whose eyes he closes before returning to america where once before he had awaited the hour of insurrection ah that land of italy which in those days rumbled from end to end with the internal fire of patriotism where men of faith and courage arose in every city where riots and insurrections burst forth on all sides like eruptions it continued in spite of every check its invincible march to freedom orlando returned to his young wife at milan and for two years lived there almost in concealment devoured by impatience for the glorious morrow which was so long in coming amidst his fever a gleam of happiness softened his heart a son luigi was born to him but the birth killed the mother and joy was turned into mourning then unable to remain any longer at milan where he was spied upon tracked by the police suffering also too grievously from the foreign occupation orlando decided to realize the little fortune remaining to him and to withdraw to turin 
where an aunt of his wife took charge of the child count de cavour like a great statesman was then already seeking to bring about independence preparing piedmont for the decisive role which it was destined to play it was the time when king victor emmanuel evinced flattering cordiality towards all the refugees who came to him from every part of italy even those whom he knew to be republicans compromised and flying the consequences of popular insurrection the rough shrewd house of savoy had long been dreaming of bringing about italian unity to the profit of the piedmontese monarchy and orlando well knew under what master he was taking service but in him the republican already went behind the patriot and indeed he had begun to question the possibility of a united republic in italy placed under the protectorate of a liberal pope as mazzini had at one time dreamed was that not indeed a chimera beyond realization which would devour generation after generation if one obstinately continued to pursue it for his part he did not wish to die without having slept in rome as one of the conquerors even if liberty was to be lost he desired to see his country united and erect returning once more to life in the full sunlight and so it was with feverish happiness that he enlisted at the outset of the war of eighteen fifty nine and his heart palpitated with such force as almost to rend his breast when after magenta he entered milan with the french army milan which he had quitted eight years previously like an exile in despair the treaty of villafranca which followed solferino proved a bitter deception venetia was not secured venice remained enthralled nevertheless the milanese was conquered from the foe and then tuscany and the duchies of parma and modena voted for annexation so at all events the nucleus of the italian star was formed the country had begun to build itself up afresh around victorious piedmont then in the following year orlando plunged into epopea once more garibaldi had returned from his two sojourns in america with the halo of a legend around him paladin-like feats in the pampas of uruguay an extraordinary passage from canton to lima and he had returned to take part in the war of eighteen fifty nine forestalling the french army overthrowing an austrian marshal and entering como bergamo and breccia and now all at once folks heard that he had landed at marsala with only a thousand men the thousand of marsala the ever illustrious handful of braves orlando fought in the first rank and palermo after three days resistance was carried becoming the dictator's favorite lieutenant he helped him to organize a government then crossed the straits with him and was beside him on the triumphal entry into naples whose king had fled there was mad audacity and valor at that time an explosion of the inevitable and all sorts of supernatural stories were current garibaldi invulnerable protected better by his red shirt than by the strongest armor garibaldi routing opposing armies like an archangel by merely brandishing his flaming sword the piedmontese on their side had defeated general la mauriciere at castelfidardo and were invading the states of the church and orlando was there when the dictator abdicating power signed the decree which annexed the two sicilies to the crown of italy even as subsequently he took part in that forlorn attempt on rome when the rageful cry was rome or death an attempt which came to a tragic issue at aspromonte when the little army was dispersed by the italian troops and garibaldi wounded was taken prisoner and sent back to the solitude of his island of caprera where he became but a fisherman and a tiller of the rocky soil six years of waiting again went by and orlando still dwelt at turin even after florence had been chosen as the new capital 
the senate had acclaimed victor emmanuel king of italy and italy was indeed almost built it lacked only rome and venice but the great battle seemed all over the epic era was closed venice was to be won by defeat orlando took part in the unlucky battle of custozza where he received two wounds full of furious grief at the thought that austria should be triumphant but at that same moment the latter defeated at sadowa relinquished venetia and five months later orlando satisfied his desire to be in venice participating in the joy of triumph when victor emmanuel made his entry amidst the frantic acclamations of the people rome alone remained to be won and wild impatience urged all italy towards the city but friendly france had sworn to maintain the pope and this acted as a check then for the third time garibaldi dreamt of renewing the feats of the old world legends and threw himself upon rome like a soldier of fortune illumined by patriotism and free from every tie and for the third time orlando shared in that fine heroic madness destined to be vanquished at mentana by the pontifical zouave supported by a small french corps again wounded he came back to turin in almost a dying condition but though his spirit quivered he had to resign himself the situation seemed to have no outlet only an upheaval of the nations could give rome to italy all at once the thunderclap of sedan of the downfall of france resounded through the world and then the road to rome lay open and orlando having returned to service in the regular army was with the troops who took up position in the campagna to ensure the safety of the holy see as was said in the letter which victor emmanuel wrote to pius IX. there was however but the shadow of an engagement general Kanzler's pontifical zouave were compelled to fall back and orlando was one of the first to enter the city by the breach of the porta pia ah that twentieth of september that day when he experienced the greatest happiness of his life a day of delirium of complete triumph which realized the dream of so many years of terrible contest the dream for which he had sacrificed rest and fortune and given both body and mind then came more than ten happy years in conquered rome in rome adored flattered treated with all tenderness like a woman in whom one has placed one's entire hope from her he awaited so much national vigour such a marvellous resurrection of strength and glory for the endowment of the young nation old republican old insurrectional soldier that he was he had been obliged to adhere to the monarchy and accept a senatorship but then did not garibaldi himself garibaldi his divinity likewise call upon the king and sit in parliament mazzini alone rejecting all compromises was unwilling to rest content with the united and independent italy that was not republican moreover another consideration influenced orlando the future of his son luigi who had attained his eighteenth birthday shortly after the occupation of rome though he orlando could manage with the crumbs which remained of the fortune he had expended in his country's service he dreamt of a splendid destiny for the child of his heart realizing that the heroic age was over he desired to make a great politician of him a great administrator a man who should be useful to the mighty nation of the morrow and it was on this account that he had not rejected royal favor the reward of long devotion desiring as he did to be in a position to help watch and guide luigi besides was he himself so old so used up as to be unable to assist in organization even as he had assisted in conquest 
struck by his son's quick intelligence in business matters perhaps also instinctively divining that the battle would now continue on financial and economic grounds he obtained him employment at the ministry of finances and again he himself lived on dreaming still enthusiastically believing in a splendid future overflowing with boundless hope seeing rome double her population grow and spread with a wild vegetation of new districts and once more in his loving enraptured eyes become the queen of the world but all at once came a thunderbolt one morning as he was going downstairs orlando was stricken with paralysis both his legs suddenly became lifeless as heavy as lead it was necessary to carry him up again and never since had he set foot on the street pavement at that time he had just completed his fifty-sixth year and for fourteen years since he had remained in his armchair as motionless as stone he who had so impetuously trod every battlefield of italy it was a pitiful business the collapse of a hero and worst of all from that room where he was forever imprisoned the old soldier beheld the slow crumbling of all his hopes and fell into dismal melancholy full of unacknowledged fear for the future now that the intoxication of action no longer dimmed his eyes now that he spent his long and empty days in thought his vision became clear italy which he had desired to see so powerful so triumphant in her unity was acting madly rushing to ruin possibly to bankruptcy rome which to him had ever been the one necessary capital the city of unparalleled glory requisite for the sovereign people of to-morrow seemed unwilling to take upon herself the part of a great modern metropolis heavy as a corpse she weighed with all her centuries on the bosom of the young nation moreover his son luigi distressed him rebellious to all guidance the young man had become one of the devouring offsprings of conquest eager to despoil that italy that rome which his father seemed to have desired solely in order that he might pillage them and batten on them orlando had vainly opposed luigi's departure from the ministry his participation in the frantic speculations on land and house property to which the mad building of the new districts had given rise but at the same time he loved his son and was reduced to silence especially now when everything had succeeded with luigi even his most risky financial ventures such as the transformation of the villa montefiori into a perfect town a colossal enterprise in which many of great wealth had been ruined but whence he himself had emerged with millions and it was in part for this reason that orlando sad and silent had obstinately restricted himself to one small room on the third floor of the little palazzo erected by luigi in the via venti settembre a room where he lived cloistered with a single servant subsisting on his own scanty income and accepting nothing but that modest hospitality from his son as pierre reached that new via venti settembre which climbs the side and summit of the viminal hill he was struck by the heavy sumptuousness of the new palaces which betokened among the moderns the same taste for the huge that marked the ancient romans in the warm afternoon glow blent of purple and old gold the broad triumphant thoroughfare with its endless rows of white house fronts bore witness to new rome's proud hope of futurity and sovereign power and pierre fairly gasped when he beheld the palazzo della finance or treasury a gigantic erection a cyclopean cube with a profusion of columns balconies pediments and sculptured work to which the building mania had given birth in a day of immoderate pride and on the other side of the street a little higher up before reaching the villa bonaparte stood count prada's little palazzo 
after discharging his driver pierre for a moment remained somewhat embarrassed the door was open and he entered the vestibule but as at the mansion in the via giulia no door porter or servant was to be seen so he had to make up his mind to ascend the monumental stairs which with their marble balustrades seemed to be copied on a smaller scale from those of the palazzo bocanera and there was much the same cold bareness tempered however by a carpet and red door hangings which contrasted vividly with the white stucco of the walls the reception rooms sixteen feet high were on the first floor and as a door chanced to be ajar he caught a glimpse of two salons one following the other and both displaying quite modern richness with a profusion of silk and velvet hangings gilt furniture and lofty mirrors reflecting a pompous assemblage of stands and tables and still there was nobody not a soul in that seemingly forsaken abode which exhaled naught of woman's presence indeed pierre was on the point of going down again to ring when a footman at last presented himself count prada if you please the servant silently surveyed the little priest and seemed to understand the father or the son he asked the father count orlando prada oh that's on the third floor and he condescended to add the little door on the right-hand side of the landing knock loudly if you wish to be admitted pierre indeed had to knock twice and then a little withered old man of military appearance a former soldier who had remained in the count's service opened the door and apologized for the delay by saying that he had been attending to his master's legs immediately afterwards he announced the visitor and the latter after passing through a dim and narrow anteroom was lost in amazement on finding himself in a relatively small chamber extremely bare and bright with wallpaper of a light hue studded with tiny blue flowers behind a screen was an iron bedstead the soldier's pallet and there was no other furniture than the armchair in which the cripple spent his days with a table of black wood placed near him and covered with books and papers and two old straw-seated chairs which served for the accommodation of the infrequent visitors a few planks fixed to one of the walls did duty as bookshelves however the broad clear curtainless window overlooked the most admirable panorama of rome that could be desired then the room disappeared from before pierre's eyes and with a sudden shock of deep emotion he only beheld old orlando the old blanched lion still superb broad and tall a forest of white hair crowned his powerful head with its thick mouth fleshy broken nose and large sparkling black eyes a long white beard streamed down with the vigour of youth curling like that of an ancient god by that leonine muzzle one divined what great passions had growled within but all carnal and intellectual alike had erupted in patriotism in wild bravery and riotous love of independence and the old stricken hero his torso still erect was fixed there on his straw-seated armchair with lifeless legs buried beneath a black wrapper alone did his arms and hands live and his face beam with strength and intelligence orlando turned towards his servant and gently said to him you can go away bastista come back in a couple of hours then looking pierre full in the face he exclaimed in a voice which was still sonorous despite his seventy years so it's you at last my dear monsieur froment and we shall be able to chat at our ease there take that chair and sit down in front of me he had noticed the glance of surprise which the young priest had cast upon the bareness of the room and he gaily added 
you will excuse me for receiving you in my cell yes i live here like a monk like an old invalided soldier henceforth withdrawn from active life my son long begged me to take one of the fine rooms downstairs but what would have been the use of it i have no needs and i scarcely care for feather beds for my old bones are accustomed to the hard ground and then too i have such a fine view up here all rome presenting herself to me now that i can no longer go to her with a wave of the hand towards the window he sought to hide the embarrassment the slight flush which came to him each time he thus excused his son unwilling as he was to tell the true reason the scruple of probity which had made him obstinately cling to his bare pauper's lodging but it is very nice the view is superb declared pierre in order to please him i am for my own part very glad to see you very glad to be able to grasp your valiant hands which accomplished so many great things orlando made a fresh gesture as though to sweep the past away pooh pooh all that is dead and buried let us talk about you my dear monsieur fromont you who are young and represent the present and especially about your book which represents the future ah if you only knew how angry your book your new rome made me first of all he began to laugh and took the book from off the table near him then tapping on its cover with his big broad hand he continued no you cannot imagine with what starts of protest i read your book the pope and again the pope and always the pope new rome to be created by the pope and for the pope to triumph thanks to the pope to be given to the pope and to fuse its glory in the glory of the pope but what about us what about italy what about all the millions which we have spent in order to make rome a great capital ah only a frenchman and a frenchman of paris could have written such a book but let me tell you my dear sir if you are ignorant of it that rome has become the capital of the kingdom of italy that we here have king humbert and the italian people a whole nation which must be taken into account and which means to keep rome glorious resuscitated rome for itself this juvenile ardor made pierre laugh in turn yes yes said he you wrote me that only what does it matter from my point of view italy is but one nation a part of humanity and i desire concord and fraternity among all the nations mankind reconciled believing and happy of what consequence then is any particular form of government monarchy or republic of what consequence is any question of a united and independent country if all mankind forms but one free people subsisting on truth and justice to only one word of this enthusiastic outburst did orlando pay attention in a lower tone and with a dreamy air he resumed ah a republic in my youth i ardently desired one i fought for one i conspired with mazzini a saintly man a believer who was shattered by collision with the absolute and then too one had to bow to practical necessities the most obstinate ended by submitting and nowadays would a republic save us in any case it would differ but little from our parliamentary monarchy just think of what goes on in france and so why risk a revolution which would place power in the hands of the extreme revolutionists the anarchists we fear all that and this explains our resignation i know very well that a few think they can detect salvation in a republican federation a reconstitution of all the former little states in so many republics over which rome would preside the vatican would gain largely by any such transformation still one cannot say that it endeavours to bring it about it simply regards the eventuality without disfavour 
but it is a dream a dream at this orlando's gaiety came back to him with even a little gentle irony you don't know i suppose what it was that took my fancy in your book for in spite of all my protests i have read it twice well what pleased me was that mazzini himself might almost have written it at one time yes i found all my youth again in your pages all the wild hope of my twenty-fifth year the new religion of a humanitarian christ the pacification of the world effected by the gospel are you aware that long before your time mazzini desired the renovation of christianity he set dogma and discipline on one side and only retained morals and it was new rome the rome of the people which he would have given as see to the universal church in which all the churches of the past were to be fused rome the eternal and predestined city the mother and queen whose domination was to arise anew to ensure the definitive happiness of mankind is it not curious that all the present-day neo-catholicism the vague spiritualistic awakening the evolution towards communion and christian charity with which some are making so much stir should be simply a return of the mystical and humanitarian ideas of eighteen forty eight alas i saw all that i believed and burned and i know in what a fine mess those flights into the azure of mystery landed us so it cannot be helped i lack confidence then as pierre on his side was growing impassioned and sought to reply he stopped him no let me finish i only want to convince you how absolutely necessary it was that we should take rome and make her the capital of italy without rome new italy could not have existed rome represented the glory of ancient time in her dust lay the sovereign power which we wished to re-establish she brought strength beauty eternity to those who possessed her standing in the middle of our country she was its heart and must assuredly become its life as soon as she should be awakened from the long sleep of ruin ah how we desired her amidst victory and amidst defeat through years and years of frightful impatience for my part i loved her and longed for her far more than for any woman with my blood burning and in despair that i should be growing old and when we possessed her our folly was a desire to behold her huge magnificent and commanding all at once the equal of the other great capitals of europe berlin paris and london look at her she is still my only love my only consolation now that i am virtually dead with nothing alive in me but my eyes with the same gesture as before he directed pierre's attention to the window under the glowing sky rome stretched out in its immensity empurpled and gilded by the slanting sun-rays across the horizon far far away the trees of the geniculum stretched a green girdle of a limpid emerald hue whilst the dome of st peter's more to the left showed palely blue like a sapphire bedimmed by too bright a light then came the low town the old ruddy city baked as it were by centuries of burning summers soft to the eye and beautiful with the deep life of the past an unbounded chaos of roofs gables towers campanili and cupolas but in the foreground under the window there was the new city that which had been building for the last five and twenty years huge blocks of masonry piled up side by side still white with plaster neither the sun nor history having as yet robed them in purple and in particular the roofs of the colossal palazzo della finanze had a disastrous effect spreading out like far bare steps of cruel hideousness and it was upon the desolation and abomination of all the newly erected piles that the eyes of the old soldier of conquest at last rested silence ensued 
pierre felt the faint chill of hidden unacknowledged sadness pass by and courteously waited i must beg your pardon for having interrupted you just now resumed orlando but it seems to me that we cannot talk about your book to any good purpose until you have seen and studied rome closely you only arrived yesterday did you not well stroll about the city look at things question people and i think that many of your ideas will change i shall particularly like to know your impression of the vatican since you have come here solely to see the pope and defend your book against the index why should we discuss things today if facts themselves are calculated to bring you to other views far more readily than the finest speeches which i might make it is understood you will come to see me again and we shall then know what we are talking about and maybe agree together why certainly you are too kind replied pierre i only came today to express my gratitude to you for having read my book so attentively and to pay homage to one of the glories of italy orlando was not listening but remained for a moment absorbed in thought with his eyes still resting upon rome and overcome despite himself by secret disquietude he resumed in a low voice as though making an involuntary confession we have gone too fast no doubt there were expenses of undeniable utility the roads ports and railways and it was necessary to arm the country also i did not at first disapprove of the heavy military burden but since then how crushing has been the war budget a war which has never come and the long wait for which has ruined us ah i have always been the friend of france i only reproach her with one thing that she has failed to understand the position in which we were placed the vital reasons which compelled us to ally ourselves with germany and then there are the thousand millions of lira swallowed up in rome that was the real madness pride and enthusiasm led us astray old and solitary as i have been for many years now given to deep reflection i was one of the first to divine the pitfall the frightful financial crisis the deficit which would bring about the collapse of the nation i shouted it from the housetops to my son to all who came near me but what was the use they didn't listen they were mad still buying and selling and building with no thought but for gambling booms and bubbles but you'll see you'll see and the worst is that we are not situated as you are we haven't a reserve of men and money in a dense peasant population whose thrifty savings are always at hand to fill up the gaps caused by big catastrophes there is no social rise among our people as yet fresh men don't spring up out of the lower classes to reinvigorate the national blood as they constantly do in your country and besides the people are poor they have no stockings to empty the misery is frightful i must admit it those who have any money prefer to spend it in the towns in a petty way rather than to risk it in agricultural or manufacturing enterprise factories are but slowly built and the land is almost everywhere tilled in the same primitive manner as it was two thousand years ago and then too take rome rome which didn't make italy but which italy made its capital to satisfy an ardent overpowering desire rome which is still but a splendid bit of scenery picturing the glory of the centuries and which apart from its historical splendor has only given us its degenerate papal population swollen with ignorance and pride ah i loved rome too well and i still love it too well to regret being now within its walls but good heavens what insanity its acquisition brought us what piles of money it has cost us and how heavily and triumphantly it weighs us down look look he waved his hand as he spoke towards the livid roofs of the palazzo delle finanze that vast and desolate steppe, 
as though he could see the harvest of glory all stripped off and bankruptcy appear with its fearful threatening bareness restrained tears were dimming his eyes and he looked superbly pitiful with his expression of baffled hope and grievous disquietude with his huge white head the muzzle of an old blanched lion henceforth powerless and caged in that bare bright room whose poverty-stricken aspect was instinct with so much pride that it seemed as it were a protest against the monumental splendour of the whole surrounding district so those were the purposes to which the conquest had been put and to think that he was impotent henceforth unable to give his blood and his soul as he had done in the days gone by yes yes he exclaimed in a final outburst one gave everything heart and brain one's whole life indeed so long as it was a question of making the country one and independent but now that the country is ours just try to stir up enthusiasm for the reorganization of its finances there's no ideality in that and this explains why whilst the old ones are dying off not a new man comes to the front among the young ones and all at once he stopped looking somewhat embarrassed yet smiling at his feverishness excuse me he said i'm off again i'm incorrigible but it's understood we'll leave that subject alone and you'll come back here and we'll chat together when you've seen everything from that moment he showed himself extremely pleasant and it was apparent to pierre that he regretted having said so much by the seductive affability and growing affection which he now displayed he begged the young priest to prolong his sojourn to abstain from all hasty judgments on rome and to rest convinced that at bottom italy still loved france and he was also very desirous that france should love italy and displayed genuine anxiety at the thought that perhaps she loved her no more as at the bocanera mansion on the previous evening pierre realized that an attempt was being made to persuade him to admiration and affection like a susceptible woman with secret misgivings respecting the attractive power of her beauty italy was all anxiety with regard to the opinion of her visitors and strove to win and retain their love however orlando again became impassioned when he learnt that pierre was staying at the bocanera mansion and he made a gesture of extreme annoyance on hearing at that very moment a knock at the outer door come in he called but at the same time he detained pierre saying no no don't go yet i wish to know but a lady came in a woman of over forty short and extremely plump and still attractive with her small features and pretty smile swamped in fat she was a blonde with green limpid eyes and fairly well dressed in a sober nicely fitting mignonette gown she looked at once pleasant modest and shrewd ah oh, it's you stefana said the old man letting her kiss him yes uncle i was passing by and came up to see how you were getting on the visitor was the signora sacco niece of prada and a neapolitan by birth her mother having quitted milan to marry a certain pagani a neapolitan banker who had afterwards failed subsequent to that disaster stefana had married sacco then merely a petty post-office clerk he later on wishing to revive his father-in-law's business had launched into all sorts of terrible complicated suspicious affairs which by unforeseen luck had ended in his election as a deputy since he had arrived in rome to conquer the city in his turn his wife had been compelled to assist his devouring ambition by dressing well and opening a salon and although she was still a little awkward she rendered him many real services being very economical and prudent a thorough good housewife with all the sterling substantial qualities of northern italy which she had inherited from her mother and which showed conspicuously beside the turbulence and carelessness of her husband in whom flared southern italy with its perpetual rageful appetite 
despite his contempt for sacco old orlando had retained some affection for his niece in whose veins flowed blood similar to his own he thanked her for her kind inquiries and then at once spoke of an announcement which he had read in the morning papers for he suspected that the deputy had sent his wife to ascertain his opinion well and that ministry he asked the signora had seated herself and made no haste to reply but glanced at the newspapers strewn over the table oh nothing is settled yet she at last responded the newspapers spoke out too soon the prime minister sent for sacco and they had a talk together but sacco hesitates a good deal he fears that he has no aptitude for the department of agriculture ah if it were only the finances however in any case he would not have come to a decision without consulting you what do you think of it uncle he interrupted her with a violent wave of the hand no no i won't mix myself up in such matters to him the rapid success of that adventurer sacco that schemer and gambler who had always fished in troubled waters was an abomination the beginning of the end his son luigi certainly distressed him but it was even worse to think that whilst luigi with his great intelligence and many remaining fine qualities was nothing at all sacco on the other hand sacco blunderhead and ever famished battener that he was had not merely slipped into parliament but was now it seemed on the point of securing office a little swarthy dry man he was with big round eyes projecting cheekbones and prominent chin ever dancing and chattering he was gifted with a showy eloquence all the force of which lay in his voice a voice which at will became admirably powerful or gentle and withal an insinuating man profiting by every opportunity wheedling and commanding by turn you hear stefana said orlando tell your husband that the only advice i have to give him is to return to his clerkship at the post office where perhaps he may be of use what particularly filled the old soldier with indignation and despair was that such a man a sacco should have fallen like a bandit on rome on that rome whose conquest had cost so many noble efforts and in his turn sacco was conquering the city was carrying it off from those who had won it by such hard toil and was simply using it to satisfy his wild passion for power and its attendant enjoyments beneath his wheedling air there was the determination to devour everything after the victory while the spoil lay there still warm the wolves had come it was the north that had made italy whereas the south eager for the quarry simply rushed upon the country preyed upon it and beneath the anger of the old stricken hero of italian unity there was indeed all the growing antagonism of the north towards the south the north industrious economical shrewd in politics enlightened full of all the great modern ideas and the south ignorant and idle bent on enjoying life immediately amidst childish disorder in action and an empty show of fine sonorous words end of section seven